Thanks to Curex for its continued support of AMR. Whether it's running, hiking, biking, court sports, golf, or even working, Curex insoles can help you live a healthy and active lifestyle. For 15% off, visit Curex.com and use code AMR15. Thanks to Lagoon Sleep for sponsoring our show. Whether you're training for a race or coming back from an injury, rest and recovery are critical. For deep, restorative sleep, switch to a performance pillow from Lagoon. Use code AMR for 15% off your first purchase at lagoonsleep.com AMR. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Brittany Williams. Hello, Brittany. Hello, hello. Good we morning. We were just good afternoon. We were, what is it? I don't know. <laughs> we were just laughing about found change and that you offered to make me a spreadsheet. Yes. So that- <laughs> I feel like it would be so easy for you to have like the month over month change, how things have progressed over the year. Like that would be so interesting. And then you could make notes like, oh, there was a snowstorm this year, but there wasn't last year. <laughs> I know. Then, the, then our joke was, oh, oh, and then you asked me, do I have a monthly goal? <laughs> yeah. Well, because you, I don't know, Sarah, you're very into this. Like you have to recognize that more than the average person. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like like the way that you said you were at a dollar forty two already this month or for January, I guess the month is ending. January, yeah. Mm-hmm. And last year you had forty something cents. You know, I you take it back I had twenty Yes. I said I had twenty four cents plus two Chinese yuans. Oh my goodness, Sarah. See, this is this is you need to write be writing this in more than scribble scratch notes in the notes app. Okay. Like yeah. as a runner, I feel like runners are so type A often about goals and like, you know, getting their mileages in and doing all the things. This just this just shifts perfectly into doing like a weekly mileage chart but for your but for your change. Okay, because now I do. Now, now that you've pointed it out, now I can look I can look at my my latest 2024 found change notes with a more clear eye and yeah. so I will read it it says yeah. January found a quarter and six pennies on January one run then a dime nickel and five pennies on one four wait on you write six- hold on you write literally what the change is you don't just write the total oh no only if it's noteworthy quote unquote now that I read it out loud noteworthy <laughs> <laughs> because the, I go on. That's the joys of having a podcast is you start saying something and you call it like amazing or noteworthy and then you have to explain yourself and you're like when it comes out out of my head it no longer sounds so noteworthy. Wah, wah. Um, so then I go on to say on that same run I also found a wallet next to a car on Alberta. $5 in wallet left on car windshield. <laughs> That's nice of you. Oh, you didn't take the $5. I did not. I did okay. not. I did okay. not. Okay, and um, on January 2, I found a heads up penny outside the people's court after first Tuesday morning women's league. That's all about pickleball people. So, um, yeah. And then found dirty quarter and two pennies on 131, a week of no or indoor runs due to ice storm. See, so what I'm hearing is that we need a spreadsheet that also has a very distinct notes section. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. per day. Okay. Mm-hmm. But doesn't this feel like you could imagine, you could close your eyes and you could imagine someone has like a their weekly mileage, right? Like they track yes. the same way, like, you know, you track and you have little notes about your run. Oh, my Achilles was hurting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Your notes, you're, you would also have a line for your weekly mileage and you'd have a line for your change total. <laughs> this it's there's a, a business here. A log I'm just saying book. there's a log maybe <laughs> maybe there needs to be an AMR training program that also has a change component. Do you know what I'm saying? Like five oh tips gosh, on how to find genius. change. Do you know what I'm saying? There's something here. There's genius. some there's a business idea in here somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where it is. <laughs> Either that or the other thing I'm thinking is how many people have turned off this podcast because <laughs> I've led with this topic. <laughs> <laughs> this was not the plan. This was not the plan. No, this I went rogue. We are on on a tangent. We are on a tangent. Yes. We have taken a detour before we've even got to the main course that we're running on. Yeah. (laughs) Main uh, route. It sounds about right for you and I. Yes. 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 And speaking of talking uh, and and tangents, oh my goodness, you're genius, baby. I don't know if she's genius, but she is saying up and she says it. Um, it started, so I, I, I have a friend who told me that her son's first word was up and oh. we had been trying mama, dad, dad, you know, all those things that you do. And I'm mm-hmm. like, man, up sounds quick, easy. And I'm constantly <laughs> picking her up, right? Like, like forcing the word mama into conversation is actually quite hard. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like I need to be like, it's me, mama, every single time I see her. So I decided I, I, I made it a goal. Like, I'm, like, I'm going to make this girl's first word be up. So I just was militant about it. Up, nice. up, up. Every, every time I picked her up, up. Every time I put her down, down. And sure enough, eventually one day this, was it this week or last, it was last week, I was on the phone with her pediatrician and she, I, I was not paying attention to Blake. She was, you know, off in the corner and she just scoots herself over to my feet and just starts demanding up, up, <gasps> up, up. And I looked oh. down at her and even, and I, I thought it was, it was a nurse on the phone. And, my, and I go, do you hear that? And she's like, yeah, she's saying up. And I'm like, oh my gosh. She, like, Validation. The, the, the on the phone. Yes. A medical, ever, from a medical professional. Medical professional. So let's be real, right? Yeah. So <laughs> she says it, she says it whenever she is, I say having her diva moments when she's a little emotional, when she wants to be picked up, when she's <laughs> unhappy with what you've given her. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's her emotional <laughs> up. So I'm not 100% positive she actually knows it means to go up. But the only time that she will repeat it back to you is when I'm actually picking her up. So I think wow. that she does know. She just mm. decides now that I can talk, I'm going to also use just this one word for everything. Oh, that's sure. kind of well, I mean, my. I think that's what young people do. You know, they use yeah. a lot of. You know, I just learned that talking, the word talking, can have multiple meetings meanings. It doesn't just mean that you're starting to talk to someone new. It means that you're hanging out, possibly dating, but you don't want. Wait, you didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Now, now I really feel like a. <laughs> no, I only. No, I only. I only ask that because I feel like, I like. I feel like that's something that like. I don't I'm talking. Only morons don't know. Is that what you're trying to say to me? No. I'm trying. No, I just think it, I, like, I don't know. I don't know. 
I'm just surprised you didn't know that. I didn't mean to sound so judgmental there, Sarah, but here we are. See, you remember when I talked about putting your hand and or mouth and foot in mouth on podcasts? I'm having one of those moments. Oh, so I went out to dinner with another mom last evening, and I was telling her about my younger daughter who is now talking to a, mm-hmm. a new a new guy, and so, but I I didn't use I said you know I used some other. I was like, oh, you know, dating, da, 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 da. And she was like, oh, so they're talking. I'm like, oh, no, they're doing more than talking. <laughs> <laughs> nope, it's talking. Yeah. No, but yeah. I, it makes it makes sense to me. Because when you say, like, you're dating someone, it has a definitiveness to it. Mm. Like, that's mm. boyfriend, girlfriend. But there's a level before before boyfriend, girlfriend, and there's not a, there's not a word for that. It's talk, you're talking with that person. Or more See, realistically, you're texting would, I, the person. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, I guess because maybe there's not an in-person component because I, I definitely just say hanging out with, so that when you know when I yeah. talk to Daphne, yeah, that's I'll the, say, that's the same. You know, that's are the you same. still hanging out with so yeah. and so? Yeah, same. Yeah. Okay. Same thing. Interchangeable. Okay. You're not okay. wrong. All right. It's so funny because my mother also thought the term "hanging out" was just the funniest term, oh. and so <laughs> because she, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, we're just hanging out, oh. and meaning just lounging around the house or maybe you know just going about life so but then finally and finally she decided to use it in conversation i was like oh mom you know what'd you do oh ingrid came over oh what'd you do oh we just hung out i was like yeah mom i love it i love that that is see we're all learning new words all the time at all ages see see and they, they just ages. have myriad uses so you know up 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 up, she's up. She can be cursing me out, and she's going to be like, "Mom, up," because <laughs> she's a she's a bit of a diva. She really she she definitely has my that part of my personality dialed up a little a, a few not octaves higher than I do. That's for sure. Well, I cannot wait to babysit her, as you oh, have yes. promised me. I can do before oh, yeah. too long it's, once she yes, gets over the stranger danger thing. Yeah, she has strong stranger danger. I mean, even non strangers, just non mom and dad danger. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Get her over that quick, because I need to come up there and just I will. Sque- squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. I will. Um, all right. Okay. Well, none of this has anything to do with our guest. We are so <laughs> pleased to welcome back our most popular guest, who we always adore talking with, and that is Stacy Sims, PhD, who's the author of two successful books, Roar and Next Level. This respected exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist was formerly at Stanford University, a place perhaps you've heard of, and now she's based in New Zealand, and one of her areas of specialty is sex differences in performance and recovery. So if you haven't heard, there's a new edition of Roar that was published last month. So we brought her on to talk about a topic she is widely known for, which is encouraging women to lift heavy weights. So thanks for joining us again, Stacey. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to chat. Thank you. Thank you. So I did want to point out that, yes, we were just, you were just on the show in December and that's when we talked about women and supplements. And my co-host was Molly Williams, who is a super fan of yours. And this time uh, we're talking, as I said, about lifting heavy weights. And I want to point out to you, Stacey, that my co-host this time is Brittany Williams, no relation to Molly Williams. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Brittany is a group fitness instructor and sweat trainer, among other things. So it's going to be a different conversation in many regards. And I will say... I have gotten the rec- anytime I ask for book recommendations 
Roar is always on the list. So I will say mm-hmm. when Sarah asked me to be a co-host for this one, I was like, oh, this is just a sign from the heavens. That <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks. Oh, of course. Um, no, you are highly, highly loved, at least in my community. That's for sure. Yeah, um, cool. So remind us and tell me a little bit about your background um, in running, triathlon, all the things. Uh, I think I've done everything. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I started as a ballerina when I was younger. And then when I got to be about 14, my principal instructor was, you need to choose between running and ballet. And I kind of recommend running, getting too (laughs) tall and gangly and maybe inflexible. I don't know. So um, yeah, I picked up running and ran cross country all through high school and got to Purdue for my undergrad and um, switched to rowing on the crew team, but still running. So I ended up doing something like 20 marathons before I was 20. Wow. And then, yeah, I know, a bit crazy. So we had this thing called the Gamers Club where we would be in a new place for a regatta. And if there was a marathon, then we'd run it the next day. So it was a little bit, I know, a little bit crazy. Wow. Um, Yeah. And then I got into ultra running. After I finished my uh, degree. Well, in, that's in, the only place to go when you've already done I, 20 marathons under 20. I know. <laughs> but I was in Massachusetts and the people that were there were all into trail running. So I got into that and ended up along the way pacing Luann Parks, who's one of the top women in the sport, still running, and then translated into, what did I get into after that? Ironman. <laughs> Triathlon and Ironman. Then from that, I got into professional bike racing when I started doing my PhD because the only thing I really liked doing was riding my bike at that point. And then when I got to Stanford, that's when I was racing professionally, but I got to a point where I was like, I need to choose between career to answer all these questions I'm getting or keep trying to pursue professional sport and marriage got there too. So it's like, okay, I really need to get out of the high level sport and focus on answering all these questions and living life. And then on the sub side of that, I raced Xterra. Mm. And the weekend before I did Worlds for the first time is when I found out I was pregnant. So then, yeah, I raced Worlds. And then, um, yeah, and then after that, I just got into life. I was like, okay, now I'm a mom. I have a career that I'm very passionate about. I'm married, and there's all these people who are asking me questions that need to be answered. So now I just train for life. So big endurance background. And people always ask me, well, how did heavy lifting come into this? How did lifting at all come into this conversation? When I was 16 in high school, one of my really good friend's brothers was a bodybuilder. So we would go to the gym with them, and we would be the only two girls in the gym in the weights area. And then through rowing, still the same thing. And then just feeling strong for everything I did in endurance, it's been kind of in the background. But then when I got into doing my postdoc at Stanford with the Women's Health Initiative and seeing the decline in strength and capacity, looking at how fast you lose lean mass, and then putting in some actual training for older women about building lean mass and how it really improves quality of life, it's just been the mainstay. Mm. Wow. I'm so glad you shone a light on your athletic background because I had no clue. I remembered the professional cycling, but I... As a former collegiate and master's rower myself, I did not know you were a rower. So, oh, yeah. 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 Nice. Nice. 
So congratulations on the revised edition of Roar. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. So what prompted the revisions and what are some changes a careful reader would notice from the original edition? Well, science evolves. And when we first wrote the book, and I say we, because Celine mm-hmm. Yeager is my co-author and mm-hmm. very instrumental in translating the science into mm-hmm. readable language. Mm-hmm. When I first wrote it, Jera was, my daughter was two, and now she's 11. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that time span and how we've seen this upsurge of female research come out in the past five or six years, It's really looking at that book and saying, yeah, this is still applicable, but there's more and newer things we need to put in here because I'm not that comfortable with some of the older science out there. It's not that the first book is irrelevant. All the basic ideas and basic physiology and everything is, is absolutely fine. It's when we start looking at things, oral contraceptive pill, IUD, menopause, some of the biohacking things like a continuous glucose monitor, heart rate variability, some of the newer tech that's coming out and how this applies to women, all of those things I would get so many questions about. And I was like, we have to put this in the book. So it's really taking the basic idea of what it means to be a cis woman, a biological female, and all the differences we have from a biomechanical and physiological standpoint that's still in the first book, and then putting the newer tech and the newer science to explain it and updating some of the case studies from the stuff that's come through the years, uh, bringing it more to the general fitness instead of the elite performance aspect. Mm -hmm. So lots of things that have come up over the past few years have all amalgamated into the second edition. Nice, nice. And how would you say you came to this point with your stance on the need for women to lift heavy weights, obviously a lot of it is root to the point you just made is rooted in science, but what got you to that point? Oh, so if you've ever seen the queen's gambit and Mm -hmm. she looks up and she sees all the chess pieces moving on the ceiling, Mm -hmm. that's how I look at physiology. When I see little reactions happening, I imagine them like her chessboard. So when I start thinking about hormones and how estrogen is super tied to strength and power, lean mass development, and then you see it decline and you see this kind of misstep in the signaling, you really understand how detrimental it is not to do resistance training. And when we look at protocols that are out there for men versus women, they are really male driven. And so we haven't really had the conversation of how important it is for women to do push and pull movements against resistance. We see that there's a definitive point in women's lives where it's really critical to change up training and add that resistance and it's perimenopause. More and more papers are coming out saying there's this critical point in a woman's life where they need to really take action and change their physical activity to prevent uh, a negative point of aging. Whereas men will age in a linear fashion. So we don't see as great a decline in men as we do in women. So when we start looking at resistance training and how important it is in younger women to prevent injury, to maintain posture, to have better outcomes with regards to cardiovascular health and brain health and preventing depression and all the things that are really encompassing younger generation. When we get to that critical point for women who are in their mid-40s, if they haven't been doing any kind of resistance training, it's a definitive and significant 
change in body composition as well as change in longevity projectile. So if we start doing that resistance training before we get to that critical point, we see an attenuation of body composition change. We see attenuation of cognitive decline risk. We see a greater ability to be independent when you're 80. So when I talk about resistance training and how it changes across the lifespan, it's all in the eye to being independent and healthy when we get to be 80 or, or longer because there is this upsurgence of people living longer and there's a big drain on the public health care system because people haven't been taking care of themselves. So if we can really push that, the one big rock across every life phase of women is doing resistance training to avoid getting into what's the saying that where you want to be the oldest person in the gym, not the youngest person in the nursing home. Mm. So that kind of holds, that kind of holds true, right? Mm. So Mm. we're just looking at the eye of longevity. Mm. All right. I'm intrigued that you use the term resistance training. How do you see that framing versus strength training or weight training or something like that? So when we talk about resistance training, it's a a load against your body. So resistance training can be body weight stuff where we look at, uh, you know, air squats or push-ups or squat jumps or something like that. When we talk about strength training itself, that is lifting heavy loads at a very high amount of your one repetition maximum. So we're looking at 80% or more. So it's, it's a heavy load and it's low volume. When we talk about weight training, that's what people typically think about with your reps of eight to 15 and it's lighter weight or you go to failure. But when we're talking about how we nuance it across the lifespan, we're really talking about that push-pull of resistance. So it's that load against the body that you have to become stronger to overcome it. So stronger can be central nervous system. It can be greater muscle mass. It can be the combination of the two. And you figure that out by where you are in your life and what your protocols are. Hmm. Okay. So as I often do, I asked our Facebook followers what questions they want Brittany and me to ask you. So let's establish what we're talking about here with a great brass tax question from Brenda. And she asks, what is heavy percentage of body weight or something else, or just whatever is perceived as heavy? So when I talk about heavy lifting, it comes from the powerlifting community. And this is where we're talking about um, zero to six reps at 80% or more of your one repetition maximum with three to five minutes recovery in between. The caveat there is I don't want anyone listening to this to say, oh, gosh, I've got to go to the gym and I've got to lift all these heavy weights because it's not just a training block. We're looking at how do you move first? If you've never been in the weight room, then I don't want you to go in there and feel intimidated and get injured. What I want you to do is I want to understand how you move. So we're looking at how do you squat? What are your mechanics? Where are your sticky points? Do you need flexibility, mobility? What's your technique? We need to get a good base of all of this in order for you to then put load on without getting injured. So it might take two weeks. It might take two months. It might take six months before we actually start into heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Along the way, you're still doing resistance training because you're learning how to move against a load be it body weight load, or maybe it's a resistance band, and then you're adding some dumbbells, maybe you're adding a backpack, maybe you're adding a light barbell, 
And then you start putting in the heavy lifting. But for women, when I talk about heavy lifting, it's a central nervous system response that we're after. Because as I was saying, when we start to lose estrogen, then we lose the critical hormone for women to stimulate lean mass development or muscle protein synthesis, as well as how strong that muscle contraction is and how fast the nerve impulse comes down to create a muscle contraction. If we are lifting heavy loads, then the nerves will come in and the brain will say, oh gosh, we better adapt to this because we have to be able to lift this load. So the central nervous system will take over that estrogen feedback and say, okay, now we need to have more muscle mass. We need to have a stronger contraction and we need to have a faster contraction. And this is why that rest in between is so important because we see women who are going in and doing five by five, but they're doing five by five with maybe 30 or 40 seconds rest in between. And that's a metabolic stance. That's a metabolic stress. That's not a central nervous system stress. So you need that three to five minutes in order to get full recovery of the central nervous system to be able to stimulate it again, to adapt, to be able to lift heavy. So, so then let's say I'm just going to choose something easy, like, I don't know, squats with a dumbbell on your, you know, a barbell mm-hmm. on your back or something like mm-hmm. that. So are you saying that I should be doing a very low number of reps with that? And then that three to five minutes, I'm just standing around sitting before down. I do, okay. Before I do the, do that same exercise again, I shouldn't yes. be, I shouldn't be alternating that with, I don't know, calf raises or something like that. No, the only thing that you should be doing in between is some mobilization to make sure that you're staying loose in your range of motion if you need to. Mm -hmm. But when you go to a gym and you see like all these buff, big dudes sitting on the bench, you're like, what are you doing? You're taking up space. They're actually (laughs) resting between their heavy lifts like they're supposed to. Whereas you see a lot of women in there and they're doing squats and they're doing single leg um, Romanian deadlifts with or pull-ups or something in between. It's like, wait, no, that's metabolic stress. That's not going to get you stronger in the sense of strength, which is what Mm. we need as we get older. Mm. Hey, like that's going to be a shift for some people to, to be like, I don't know. I I think as moms in particular, a lot of us have trouble just being like, okay, I'm just going to sit here. Um, I know. I have that same problem. So that's why I go to a strength development class so I can talk to people in between. <laughs> that's, that's actually a really good, that's a great point. Rachel asks, how do you determine weight that really challenges her or challenges me? Is it possible to lift heavy with machines at the gym? Well, this is where we're looking at that form, right? So when you have really good form and can maintain core integrity and know how to like screw the feet into the ground to push the ground away in a squat and a deadlift, that's when you're putting that heavy load on. And when is it challenging? When you get to that fifth uh, set and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can finish this. So you might eke out three with really good form and you can't do the last two, then that's that's challenging enough. So we, we try to go on a rating of perceived exertion within the session. So you might start off at a rating of perceived exertion of eight on a scale of one to 10. And as you're getting more and more tired, you might eke up to a 10 by that last set. So it's it's really hard. It's not something you go, oh, I'm really tired today, so I'm not going to go for a run. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work on my squats. It's a it's a hard session in itself. How would you then, based on a question from 
Sarah, not our love, beloved Sarah, a different beloved Sarah. Uh, how do you lift heavy safely at home then? So how heavy is heavy enough? Um, Sarah says she like wants to avoid a gym membership and travel time. She has a Peloton and dumbbells up to 25 pounds. 25 pounds is definitely not heavy enough. Um, when we're looking at lifting heavy at home, we can look at loading up a backpack or two backpacks. So one's on the front, one's on the back. And if you are doing five by five and you're still not hitting that, oh my gosh, can't do it. Then we have to change tech and go to failure on that last set so that you're actually getting the stimulus from a central nervous system standpoint that you really do have to adapt to this. Unfortunately, it is really difficult to lift heavy at home unless you have a full rig and bumper plates if you have been doing this for a while. If you haven't and you're just getting into it, then you can um, buy some kettlebells that are not that expensive, but you want to have a range from like eight kilos up to 20 kilos. So in pounds, gosh, what is that? That's from like 16 or 17 pounds up to 45 or 50 so that you have a whole range of different things that you can put in a backpack or you can hold single single sided to increase the the integrity of that weight to make it more intense. But it's having the eye of if you're not going to go to the gym because you don't want gym membership and you don't want to travel, how can you modify what you have at home to improve the intensity of the strength training? So some specifics about the backpack. Are we talking like your kid's backpack or are we talking a special type of backpack? And then No, what, any backpack. What, okay. And then what do I put in it? I put in kettlebells. I put in a, a you know, a bottle of Clorox. Like, to, you know, do I take rocks from my garden? Like what, what is it I put in the backpack to make it heavy? Anything that has weight. So mm-hmm. it can be kettlebells, it can be rocks, it can be canned goods. Mm-hmm. It could be uh, some heavy toys that your kids have, anything that's going to make it an odd object and heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other really good thing that works on strength that can be part of this is if you do heavy backpack upstairs. So if you have stairs in your house and you put in a you know a 16 to 20 pound kettlebell and pack it down with heavy clothes and then you're doing lunges up the stairs you're going to get maybe one or two sets of stairs and it's going to be like, whoa, that's a burner. So that counts as well. Mm. My goodness. All right. I will say a one tip that I will give as someone who exclusively lifts at home, getting gym equipment used is a huge money saver. Um, I know like I have gotten like brand new squat racks, brand new sets of weights are very expensive. And even as a fitness trainer by trade, I still don't want to spend that money on that. And I have offer up Facebook marketplace, Craigslist. There are some excellent, like that weight is not going to lose weight over time. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, a, yeah. a, a 50 pound kettlebell is going to stay a 50 pound kettlebell. Uh, and you can find some amazing, amazing deals online if you search a little bit. Nice. Yeah. We kitted out our, our garage during COVID. Um, and now the cars don't live there because we were able <laughs> to find a lot of used equipment early on. Uh, and not spend a lot. So now I'm like, oh, I don't have time to go to the gym, but I do have 20 minutes here. I'm going to go do my deadlifts. Mm. It's very handy. Mm. So I got to tell you, before we started recording this, I had been thinking that my my birthday's coming up in a few weeks, and I'd been thinking I was going to get a set of adjustable dumbbells. 
to have around the house to, to be able to do some exercises here. But now I'm thinking that that doesn't sound like I'm going to be able to get it heavy enough or are there sets that can go up to, I don't know, 50, 65, whatever pounds. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. I haven't looked into the adjustables. One Mm -hmm. of the concerns would be about safety. If you Mm -hmm. put all the weight on, is it, is it going to, are the collars going to be tight enough to hold the weight, all the weight on? It should be, it should pass Mm -hmm. safety, but that's just something to check out. Mm-hmm. I, I will say I own the Bowflex. It's called the 552, which means it goes, just fun fact for anyone looking for adjustable dumbbells, that means it goes between 5 and 52 pounds because mm-hmm. um, it's called the 552. And it's I highly recommend them. And oh. I feel, as a trainer, I would feel safe enough to your point, Stacey, that like I have seen my husband use them many a times at their 52 mark and feel mm-hmm. safe with them. Cool. There you Good. go. Yeah. I have Both certainly legs. used a lot that weren't, I have used a lot that I don't feel that way. <laughs> um, they are pricey, mm-hmm. but I absolutely, that that's what got us through COVID mm. was just that singular set of dumbbells until we had more space. Yeah. And when we talk about, you know, the expense, I always look at it as the investment in not having to go to the doctor, not having to go to the physio, not having to pay gym membership, maybe giving up a coffee a week or something like that. So you can, you can small, find small trade-offs for longer term benefit. Mm-hmm. I say the same thing with time. People always say they yeah. don't have the time to work out. And I was like, you don't have the time to be going to the doctor because you have problem X, Y, and Z later in life. Like mm-hmm. do the 20 exactly. minutes now. So you don't have to be sitting in traffic, going to your doctor's office, picking up prescriptions, the whole, you know, rigmarole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Well, let's take a short break to hear from our generous supporters. Stick around for more wisdom and advice from Dr. Stacy Sims. Thanks to Curex for its continued support. For 15% off Curex insoles, visit curex.com and use code AMR15. Whatever activity I'm doing, running, cycling, playing pickleball, or sightseeing, I want to feel supported. With its patented dynamic arch technology, Curex insoles properly support the foot and its natural movement for ideal knee and hip alignment. That's why I have Curex insoles in all my athletic shoes. Curex insoles have flexible support with an ideal level of rigidity. They have a thin, low profile while still providing maximum support and comfort. They make a noticeable difference in comfort during a workout and beyond. At the start of the new year, I debuted a new pair of running shoes and a fresh pair of Curex insoles in them. Curex insoles are one of the main tools I use to keep my back and knees pain-free and to continue to run and build my mileage. Thanks in big part to Curex Insoles, I'm contemplating doing a half marathon this spring or summer, my first half in years. Feel the Curex difference. Curex offers the largest line of sport activity-specific insoles, including ones for running, soccer, hiking, walking, golf, hockey, and even ones for folks who are on their feet all day in the workplace. Try Curex risk-free today. The company offers a 60-day warranty, even if the product has been cut to fit your shoes. Visit Curex.com and use code AMR15 for 15% off a pair of Curex insoles. That's C-U-R-R-E-X.com with code AMR15 for 15% off. Curex.com. A good night's sleep. It's something we all strive for, yet it can be so elusive. I recently started sleeping a whole lot better thanks to a new pillow. It's by Lagoon founded by a Minnesota husband and wife team who are lifelong athletes, and they were in search of better sleep. 
Lagoon makes premium performance pillows with athletes in mind. There are seven pillow styles to choose from with an easy two-minute quiz to learn your perfect pillow for sliding effortlessly into deep restorative sleep. My perfect pillow? The Otter which is fully adjustable, meaning you can remove fill to make the height just right for your own personal neck and back alignment. I took out some fill to let my neck relax better overnight. The Otter Pillow also has a unique cooling effect from its gel-infused shredded memory foam, which helps regulate your temperature throughout the night. Since sleeping on the Otter, which, yes, I realize isn't a phrase you hear every day, I fall asleep faster, wake up less frequently during the night, and wake feeling more well-rested. U.S. Olympic Trials Marathon qualifier Caitlin Keene saw her deep, restorative sleep increase by 52 minutes when she started using the Fox Pillow from Lagoon. Wake up for morning runs or resistance training sessions more refreshed with the perfect Lagoon Pillow for you. Go to lagoonsleep.com AMR and take their awesome two-minute sleep quiz to find your match. Then use code AMR for 15% off your first purchase. That's lagoonsleep.com slash AMR with code AMR for 15% off your first purchase. L-A-G-O-O-N sleep.com slash AMR with code AMR for 15% off your first purchase. All right, Dr. Sims, Megan wants some specific exercise for an at-home program. Okay, so... This is where it becomes very nuanced because I don't know her or her background. I can recommend us some places to go to learn to lift heavy and then get into it at home. First is someone like Haley Happens Fitness, where she is all about women who are 40 plus and has it from the beginner at home all the way up to advanced in the gym. So you can pick uh, six to 12 week programs. Uh, the Betty Rocker as well. She's more at home beginner. And then in two weeks, we are launching, well, we as in Annie Tor's daughter, Katrin, David's daughter, and myself. So the two Icelandic CrossFit phenoms mm. where we are launching an app called Empower. Mm-hmm. And it is the education around peri and postmenopause from me, and then a specific six-week program that implements how to train as a peri- and postmenopausal woman, either in the gym or at home, lifting, and some high-intensity stuff. So mm. those would be the ones I would watch out for, for sure. That's exciting. What do you think are the biggest, like, I know in my you know, world, I get a lot of clients who will say, oh, well, I don't do squats because they hurt my knees. And then I ask them how they sit on the toilet or get out of the bed or get off the couch. Like there are some basic fundamental movement patterns that we we have to get right in our everyday lives. Yes. I would assume you would have kind of what are those like, you know, three to five movement types, maybe not specific exercises, but movement types that you think are like must haves. Of course, everyone's going to have their nuanced differences in their body and what they're going through. But, you know, what are your three to five favorite exercises that you think almost everyone should be doing? Um, Gosh, I always look at it as your push pull and your different, your different planes of, of motion. So more about the functional compound movement. So squats, yes. Single leg lunges, you might be looking at squat jumps, something that's going to give you that, that kind of explosive power. 
uh, some kind of hinge motion. So that could be bridging, could be uh, single leg Romanian deadlifts or just deadlifts. And then we also have the upper body push pull. So it's uh, ring rows or banded pull throughs, or you're looking at dumbbell pullovers, you're looking at push-ups, you're looking at plank holds. So things that are going to be that push-pull, those are all very functional because you're thinking about, okay, I need to reach up and grab something and pull it down. So that's more that um, dumbbell pullover movement or that overhead pressing movement. If you're reaching for something and you want to have integrity and then pulling it back in, that's that push-up movement. Getting up and down off the toilet, as you're saying, is a squat. If you're looking at going upstairs, and those are your single leg lunges. So it's all looking at what are those functionalities and compound movements of push-pull that you can put into a 20 to 30 minute session. I have to say that yesterday, my uh, best friend who is a photographer and an art director, she, I, I um, used her expertise to take a lot of images of me running that we could use on our website and in social media and stuff like that. And she took a lot of live photos. So I watched a lot of um, little short clips of me running yesterday. And it made me realize that running really is just jumping from like to leg. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so hearing you talk, I'm like, oh yeah, I can see why those are useful exercises. Yeah. I have a lot of trail runners who are like, oh, I don't want to get in the gym. The trail is enough. I was like, no, it's not. Because if you're thinking about all the multi-directional movements that you have to do on a trail, if you're strong through that whole movement because you've worked on it in the gym in a very controlled manner, then it gives you a stronger ability to hit off those rocks and not fall or twist an ankle or anything like that. How would you tell or help someone know that their form is is right or proper um, if they're working out solo in the gym or at home? That was a question from Tanya. This is where our cell phones come in handy because a lot of us imagine what we look like. And then when we see a video of us, we're like, whoa, okay. There are different free movement analysis programs that you can get if you put in movement analysis app. And then you can look at something like Train Heroic, where it shows you what are proper movements for a deadlift? What are some of the key components that you need to be thinking about? And so you can overlay that with your movement analysis and say, oh yeah, look, I'm rounding my back instead of pushing through the floor. So there are different key points that you can use just by your phone. And if you can and have the availability of working with someone who understands movement, like a physical therapist or a biomechanic specialist in just one session to run through some of the movements, they can give you some key points that you can keep in your brain. And then if you're videoing yourself and you see, oh, wait, no, I still am rounding my back. And then that's something to focus on. So there are a couple of, of ways that you can do that as an individual. Good to know. So Deanna has a question that I found intriguing. She asks, can I lift slow instead of lifting very heavy as she doesn't have access to barbells and she wants to know if she can get adequate results. She's read that resistance of slow lifting is similar to lifting heavy weights, but not equivalent. If you're doing the eccentric, so when we think about the concentric, that's, you know, your usual lift up, but the eccentric is that very, very slow descend. And that is a very strong stress on the muscle that is going to create an adaptation. It's not the same as heavy lifting, but it is going to create an adaptation from central nervous system 
as well as a, a, a muscle repair aspect. But what she really wants to think about is not just how fast or slow, but the recovery in between. Because we see that women are less fatigue resistant. So this is where if you don't have a heavy load and you're lifting slowly, then you want to look at maybe one minute between instead of the three to five, because you're really trying to get that fatigue load from the central nervous system response. So if you're over that course of the session, really fatiguing the central nervous system, then it's going to give you a better adaptation than if you were to lift and do a slow movement and have that three to five minute in between. Brittany, I have to say, this is all bringing back memories of our sessions together <laughs> um, and you, you having me do the, the low, you know, the slow mm. of lowering the weight yeah, down time, time and, under and, tension. That's right. And, and then you being like, no, Sarah, we still need to be resting. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. You're still resting. Yes. And it was just like, ah. yes. no, I think that slowing things down. I also, I use that a lot in my own training. Like when I'm traveling, like, and mm-hmm. I might be in like a hotel gym that doesn't have a barbell just to get that sensation and some of the benefits of that eccentric, which is the lowering phase of a movement. So the way I kind of explain it to people is if you imagine a bicep curl, the concentric is going to be pulling the weight up and the eccentric is going to be slow lowering that dumbbell back down to the ground. And if you do it slow enough, it's, it's challenging. Yes. And it's painful the next day. You're like, I can't go down the stairs (laughs) (laughs) or brush my hair. Exactly. Um, A good pain. A good pain. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, I love this next question from Barb since I am postpartum. I don't know how long I can claim being postpartum, but I'm going to claim it as long as I can. Um, But she asks, what precautions do we need to take into consideration with protecting our pelvic floor? Many moms have prolapse or have had hysterectomies and doctors don't seem to know what heavy is or they assume women don't lift heavy. After my hysterectomy, my doctor suggested I let my husband carry the heavy 40-pound bags of salt. Ugh. I know. I have a, my, eyes, my eyes are eye-rolling for her while yes. I read that. <laughs> yes. Uh, so working with a pelvic floor specialist, I mean, if you can't find a physio that is a pelvic floor specialist, there is a woman, Kim, who has the buff muff which I laugh at the fact that it's called the buff muff, <laughs> but it has uh, lots of education about how to um, get that pelvic floor control and muscles working postpartum. So it is something like, you know, there are women who don't pay attention to that. And 10 years later, they're still having pelvic floor dysfunction. So it's something to really investigate to see if there's a specialist around to see what limitations you have and then be able to to build on that. Because yes, you know, you're looking at six months down the line postpartum, can I lift heavy or not? Well, it depends on what is the integrity of your pelvic floor. There are different really small little things that you can do, not kegels, but something like child pose breathing where you're learning how to contract, relax pelvic floor, see if it's hypertensive or not. Um, when you go to start to lift, as soon as you start to feel a little bit of incontinence and you stop, so you're not pushing through that. So there are small little things that you can learn that are really beneficial as as key points as you're getting into the lifting. And it might be that you're lifting lighter loads until you have that control of pelvic floor. And so even with a prolapse, there are different types of things that you can do to improve that pelvic floor health so that you can get into lifting. Mm. Okay. So on the Facebook page, we had a number of women bring up 
injury questions. Pamela asked about avoiding tendonitis when lifting heavier. And then Lisa wanted to know about joint issues, um, you know, whether it's wrists, neck, shoulders, whatever. So what do you tell people who are worried about aggravating or bringing on an injury? So when we're looking at injuries themselves, these again are all individual nuances. So if someone has joint issues and we look at what kinds of things we can modify to prevent any kind of aggravation of it. So if you have osteoarthritis in the hips and the knees, then you're not going to be doing box jumps, but lifting is fine because you are going to be increasing the strength in and around the joint. But again, it's phasing into a load that's sustainable. So you're not going to all of a sudden start lifting heavy and compromise the joint. When we're looking at uh, back pain and some of the SI joint issues as well, this is where proper form is super important. So, so many people get injured when they're doing deadlifts because they end up lifting with their back instead of pushing through the ground and using their glutes and their hamstrings. When we talk about tendonitis, for lifting heavy and following it up with really good nutrition, then we're not going to get into that overuse aspect that causes the tendonitis. If we do start getting into that overuse aspect, then we are looking at periodizing the training. We're also looking at um, how are we mobilizing? Are we doing voodoo floss band to really get some of that restrictive blood flow and then releasing to increase the blood flow around before we do our lifting session? So unfortunately, the older we get, the longer it takes to actually get ready to lift. <laughs> so this is why it's we think about just one key compound movement that we want to work on. And then you're mobilizing around it to make sure that you're able to really get into that key compound movement well. And then you can do some supplementary things on the backside of that heavy lifting session. What I mean by that is if your focus is deadlifts on the day, then you're going to be doing your mobilization. You're going to be doing a lot of your hip floss. And so you're really getting into the actual range of motion within the hip joint, you're not stretching, so that when you go to do your lift, you are able to get into the right flat back hinge pattern to be able to do the lift. So you have to do a lot of the activation and and warm up before you actually get into the heavy lifting. It might take five minutes. It's not a long time, but it's enough to get everything active, including your lats. So as you hold the bar in your you're actually pulling back as you're lifting. So everything gets engaged. And then when you're done with your five by five, you might get into some B stance, lighter Romanian deadlifts so that you're still activating that same pathway, but it's not as heavy. It's just complementing what you've already done. Hmm. Is it possible to detail a little bit about what you mean about mobility exercises that one might do before or in between the heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, I really like using the resistance bands tied on a rig. So you can mm. put the resistance band around your hip joint and do a distraction in a down dog, or you can turn and face the rig and let the band pull your hip forward so that you're not um, actively trying to stretch hip flexors. The band is doing the work for you. So you're passively falling into it and it's pulling you forward to create that stretch and that more range of motion within the joint capsule itself. The Starrettes, Kelly and Juliet Starrett have done a lot of work 
to get this out there. So the Supple Leopard, that's their first book, really goes into detail on all of this. You can also look on the Ready State and Ramwad or what are some of the other mobility type things where they're all using bands and kettlebells to get into different tight spots to really allow the body to passively open up that range of motion. Interesting. So Sandy asks, is it too much to run and then do a heavy lifting session? From what you've been saying, Stacy, I think the answer is yes. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I, I want to hear it from your mouth because Sandy's saying those days the run would be just, she says, just three to five miles easy shakeout run. So what's your stance on that? Yeah, no. Because when you're thinking about what is the focus of the day, if the focus is the heavy lifting, maybe you do some sprints on the treadmill afterwards to get your high intensity work. But that three to five mile shakeout run is going to create more metabolic and muscle fatigue. So you're not going to be able to maximally address the intensity you need to in the gym. Mm. Okay. And so describe how, like, how much time are you talking on the treadmill? And, you know, the distance of those sprints. Yeah. So this is where we look, okay, you do your heavy lifting session and then you hop on the treadmill, you do a really easy, easy, light warm up of maybe three to five minutes at the most. Mm -hmm. And then you're doing 30 seconds as fast as you can. You hop off for a minute and then you do another 30 seconds. You might do that Mm -hmm. four to six times and that's it because you're working for that maximal effort for 30 seconds. Um, another one that's good to do would be uh, what we call the forty-five fifteen, mm-hmm. where you are running at your five, three to five k pace for that forty-five seconds, and then hopping off for recovery for fifteen, and you do that nine times. Mm. It's an intriguing number nine. I know. <laughs> and, <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? And you say hop off. You mean literally? You don't want people then dialing the pace way down and walking. You mm-hmm. want people to stand there next to that treadmill yep. and to growl at anyone who tries to come over and hop on it <laughs> while they're waiting. Yeah. Well, you mm-hmm. really, it's just like straddle the belt. Okay. Okay. Because it's 15 seconds and then you hop back on. Mm-hmm. And part of it is the lactate accumulation that you get for standing still for those 15 seconds and then jumping back into pace. Mm. And we want that lactate accumulation because it is that metabolic activation. But for women, because we have less glycolytic fibers, as we get older, our brain doesn't know how to produce and or use lactate. And this is part of cognitive decline. Hmm. So as we're seeing, what do we need to do to help prevent or attenuate the onset of dementia? We need to be able to stimulate the brain's favorite food, which is lactate. So if we're working on these short, sharp intervals and then standing still not to clear that lactate. It accumulates in the muscle and gets flushed into the blood and the brain is like, yay, I've got a fuel that I really love and I'm going to use it. So it keeps all the neural pathways and the plasticity of the brain going. And that's what we're seeing really helps attenuate this onset of of, of sex differences in cognitive decline. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. Speaking of fuel, Susan wants to know if she needs to change her protein intake when she starts to lift heavy. 
It's the timing of the protein. So if we're looking at that baseline intake of around one gram per pound of body weight, which a lot of women are like, whoa, that's a lot. Uh, we want to look at getting around uh, 15 grams of protein before your lifting session and 35 to 40 afterwards. And that is a high quality. So you're looking at a leucine, a high leucine content. So around 2.7 grams of leucine post-exercise. And that can come from animal or plant. You just have to really make sure you get that leucine concentration. And then at every meal, you're getting about palm and a half size serving of protein. That doesn't necessarily mean all of it has to come from meat. You can look at all different sources to add up to that amount in a meal. Okay. So... I'm thinking that people who've listened all this way through are thinking, wow, this is a lot. Like this is a lot of things to think about the, that I need to stand still, that I need to eat a palm size serving of protein and I need to be doing this. So I think what we're telling people is they need to get the new revised copy of Roar <laughs> and, you know, make, yeah. make it their Bible. And I'm serious because otherwise it's like, whoa, this is, this is too much. I'm going to walk out of this, you know, college level class and I'm just going to shut the door. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I also think it's important to like know that it's a step at a time, right? And I think mm-hmm. that it is absolutely, and I think exactly yeah. how Stacey said at the beginning, it might take you six months to get your body to the point, and not necessarily just your physical body, but your mental body or mental mind to get to walking into that gym. So that gives you six months to work on your protein intake and what works for you, and so, fo- so on and so forth. Mm hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And as I say, it's not a small training block. It's the eye to longevity. So you want to be able to do this in some fashion for the rest of your life. Yeah. And it, that it's what you've enlightened to me today is that it's not just like, Oh, okay, great. I might have more muscle mass at 75. So I can, you know, write myself as I start to fall or something like that. But it's all these other elements of aging that this heavy lifting can stave off or, you know, just push out of the way yeah. completely. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because one of the other things when we talk about heavy lifting and it being a central nervous system pattern is the fact that when you're doing that, you're creating new neural pathways in the brain. And that's another thing that is really important for maintaining cognitive health is having this plasticity and the ability for your brain to keep creating new neural pathways mm-hmm. because that's what's stimulating it and keeping it healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so doing Wordle every day isn't enough, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> right. You can compliment. You could do Wordle in your three to five minute exactly. rest. There we go. There we right go. There. there we go. That's another way to use your cell phone with your uh, training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now, there's one thing I want every woman to know out there. When you're doing heavy lifting, you are not going to bulk up. Mm-hmm. It is really, really, really difficult to build lean mass. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about this whole heavy lifting. It's about strength development, central nervous system. You are going to build lean mass, but unless you stop all cardio and you eat 30,000 to 4,000 calories a day, and all you're doing is lifting, Mm -hmm. it's going to be very difficult to bulk up Mm -hmm. because that's one of the big fears that women have. Oh, I'm going to get so bulky if I start lifting heavy. No, you're not. You're going to get stronger Mm -hmm. and you have to really focus on becoming bulky. And that takes a lot of other kinds of work. Mm-hmm. There's a funny mm-hmm. quote out there and I'm going to butcher it, but it's basically, they're saying being afraid of getting bulky from lifting weights is like being afraid to learn how to drive because you might accidentally become an F1 driver. 
Like, there's so many things that are going to have to happen intentionally for you to get to that point. Like, yes. don't worry about learning how to drive. You're not just suddenly going to like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Well, always a delight talking with you, Stacey. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Super fun. Great. And good luck with the book and the launch of the Empower app. That's very exciting. Oh, thanks. Yeah, great. Already. Well, I guess that really makes me want to go work out now. Like I need to get up off my butt and get into my own gym. (laughs) (laughs) I think I need to come up and meet you at your garage. (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. I think so often, like, you know, the work that you need to be doing. But sometimes it's conversations like that where you're like, yep, okay, let me let me reprioritize a few things and, and get it done. Oh, I've honestly been debating for a long time whether to get some adjustable dumbbells. Oh, you should do that. No question. Yeah, I wasn't that that wasn't like a. No, I have no ties to You Bowflex. get no take from I, Bowflex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I really like mine. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Good to know. Good to know. All right. Okay. Well, another thing, if perhaps you've been debating whether or not to join us for one of our retreats, the answer is an emphatic yes. Uh, join us in Lake Placid, September 6th to 9th. That is a charming, lovely Olympic village. Uh, there's been two Olympics there. And it is the downtown super quaint and the uh, host hotel where we're staying is right on Mirror Lake, which is the small boat free lake that is in downtown. So you can go strolling, sit at a cafe and then go back, put on your suit and join me for some open water swimming at the retreat. I'm really excited for that because it'll still be warm enough, but the crowds will have dropped away. We're going to be doing running, bring in experts who will talk about interesting topics like we just have here, enjoy great meals, make new friends. Our retreats are really special. Brittany, you have been one of the presenters when we did it here in Portland. So I hope you can attest that they are special events. Oh, the community is is excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. As are the presenters. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, I thank you. <laughs> so to find out all the details and to register, please go to anothermotherrunner.com. Click on events and there it is in the drop down menu. Again, go to anothermotherrunner.com. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medora from Fire on the Bluff. So I love Family Feud. Oh my gosh! And I don't watch it regularly, but like if I want a good, okay, (laughs) you know. But if I if I want a good laugh, I'll go on YouTube and watch like compilation videos of just like all the funny mistakes people make. That this one's my favorite one of all time. Okay, very good. I'll send it. I'll send it to you. Oh my gosh! Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) Okay, very good.